Welcome to The Hendy Show, a podcast exploring the why behind some of today's most intriguing ideas, businesses, and personalities to inform and inspire the best version of you. I'm your host, Amanda Hendy. Today, I welcome Joe Tabanella to the podcast and wow, get your notes ready. This is a good one. Joe is certified in hypnotherapy, neuro-linguistic programming, and mental and emotional release, among other therapeutic modalities. He has dedicated his career to helping people understand and align their automated or subconscious mind with their conscious mind to overcome addictions, identify and break unwanted patterns, and achieve their desired outcomes. There were so many aha moments for me in this conversation, and I would guess there will be for you as well. So listen to it as many times as you need to, because I think it will hit differently each time, especially if you have never studied the subconscious mind before. I'll also link some helpful resources in the show notes. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please help us grow by subscribing, liking, sharing, and leaving a review. Thanks so much for listening and for your support, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Joe. Well, Joe, I'm thrilled to have you here to talk about uh, the power of the subconscious mind and its role in shaping our thoughts and behaviors and overall life experiences. Um, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I have so many questions for you, and I think I could talk about this subject all day. Uh, but before we dig in, I think it makes sense to start with some of your background. So could you please explain to listeners the type of work you do and what led you to doing this type of work? Hmm. It's a, kind of a long story, but uh, I'll try to <laughs> That's <summon>. okay. <laughs> I, um, I'm a, a hypnotherapist. I work at a rehab private practice. I teach hypnosis and uh, neurolinguistic programming and introduction to biofeedback at a college for hypnosis. And, um, I'm, I'm certified in what's called open focus. I'm trained in brain spotting, um, and a couple other things. And so I, I use all these modalities to to come up with one simple way to approach all problems. So I like to break things down into its purest form, you know, into its purest principle, right? And so if you understand the nervous system and you understand the brain and you understand the subconscious mind in general and certain like principles as far as behavior and achieving goals, right? Then you can use all these interventions as um as leverage to get us back on track to to the, the state of being that we were in when we learned to walk and talk to the most difficult things we've ever done, right? And yet we did it. We fell a million times or we said wawa instead of water. We said kuka. My son used to say noko, you know? <laughs> so, um, so if you understand those simple principles and you understand what gets in the way of those principles, then you can make change or help people uh, create change in their life. So I, I, like I said, I work at a rehab um, dual diagnosis treatment center for addiction. And at first it was, I just came into like, you know, self-regulation with a peripheral biofeedback, um, light hypnosis, releasing limiting beliefs. And it turned out that people were doing really well just on that. People were staying sober longer once they released the emotional let's just say baggage or the limiting belief about themselves. 
So it turns out a simple self-help approach to things can be a very profound change in someone's life and in all other areas, you know. And so how I got into this, oh boy. I'm not a very woo-woo person, although my whole life is filled with (laughs) woo-woo. So, but I'm a very um, curious person. So when I was younger, I was a 19 and I needed money really bad. I needed about $5,000. And we're talking about me, 19, I'm 58 now. So do the math. It's, it's probably, especially last year's inflation, it's probably like trying to manifest 40,000, you know? <laughs> and I was a blue collar kid. My f- family had no money. So it wasn't like I can ask anybody for, for that money. So I started praying. A good Catholic does, you know, God, I need mm-hmm. 5,000. And I would I would look for anything that was assigned for that day, and I'd play the pick four, which was 5,000. You know, I'd play the license plate of the car that was totaled and whatever I thought was assigned for that day. So if if a license plate cut me off, you know, some car cut me off, I'd say, eight, seven, two, four, that sounds good. That's And I'd run to the, <laughs> to the store, play a lot, thinking there's a sign from God, ketchup bottles, you know, the serial number on the back of ketchup bottles and receipts. 2752, that sounds right. And uh, every day I'd be playing and hoping and wishing and praying. And then one day I heard this intuitive voice that showed up and it it was really interesting because it it didn't feel like my voice. It would neurologists might call the wise advocate, you know. Some would call spirit guides, some would call something else. But um they said and it was a they. I don't know how we know it's a they. It's just more than one like personality in there. And it said, um, if God was, who are you praying to? And I said, God. <laughs> said, well, if God was here, would you ask it for $5,000? Which is strange because God was not an it. Being Catholic, God is a he or a him or a, a, even a, a they, but not a it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I knew what it meant, meaning the thing I'm praying to, the being I'm praying to, that is everywhere, all things, <laughs> omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, I mean, everywhere. The one that knows how to influence this simulator, you know, <laughs> to, to win the lottery, to, to influence the people picking the balls, to get the information of what, what numbers will come out on those floating balls. And I realized that what, that's what it meant. And I said, yeah. God would say, I'd be praying. That's what I'm praying to. And they said, think about it. And they always come in threes. I said, yeah, I thought about it. Think about it. I said, thinking about it. Think about it. I said, all right, I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I imagine now, now I'm imagining, this is not like a hallucination. I'm imagining like time space splitting open in this white light, like you would see in a science fiction movie come in. And the whole room changed. And in my mind, I felt I was one with this, all that is being, that is everyone and everything, the the problem I had, the money I needed, the car I needed, the people picking the balls, the person who owns the car. I mean, I became everything. And I surrendered to this idea that I'm surrendering to all of me, all that I am, because I was part of this, all that is, right? So I surrendered to what one might say, the bigger self, the higher self, or 
Um, in recovery, they say, you know, a higher self. I mean, uh, in recovery, they say, um, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Higher self, uh, uh, yeah. higher power, right? So I surrendered. And suddenly I was free of fear. I was free of wanting. I was like what the Buddhists say. I was free of all aversions and free of all attachments. And I was kind of one with everything. And in that one with everything, my nervous system was neutral, which I found interesting. Because that neutral nervous system, what I've come to find is basically the parasympathetic, you know, branch of the, the autonomic nervous system. It was just kind of comfortable. So I was present. And in my presence, not in my thoughts, not in my wanting, not in my fears, but in my presence, I just decided to just walk down the street, which is strange because you don't do that like back then. You just don't walk down the street for no reason. You get in your car and I had no reason to go down to the, the next street corner. I just started walking. I was in this moment. I was in flow. I was just walking. And I wound up in front of the place I would play the lottery every day. It's a convenience store. I would play the lotto, pick four, you know. And I'm, I'm there. And I said, what am I doing here? I didn't even know what I was doing here. And I said, oh, this is where I play every day. I might as well play. I only had that one number of the plate, license plate of the car that was total. They played every day. But I went in because I was there. Why not? There's like a why not feeling. There's no more craving, no more attachment. It was just why not? And I walked in there and I played the license plate of the car that was total 3159. And some woman I've never met turned out to be my best friend's mom, but I never met her. She lived upstairs. He, he lived in the basement. And she turns to me and says, 1729, trust me, I've been playing it long enough. Now, I thought ketchup bottles were a sign from God, right? And here's a human being telling me, I was like, yeah, thanks. I was everything happening. I wasn't like a person needing something. I was like, thanks, whatever she, she said. <laughs> and I went home. And if anyone knows who Esther Hicks is, um, at this point, I was at what's called the tipping point, And this happens every single time. But the tipping point is a byproduct. It's not something you activate. It's something that's a byproduct of the activation of like, like being the thing you want and tuning into it. But the tipping point meant like I suddenly knew I had $5,000. I didn't know how I knew. I didn't know. I, I didn't know how, where it was coming from, but it was like more real than my physical experience. And that night I was at my friend's house. I didn't have a dime to my name where I spent all my money. My last 300 bucks I had something like that on like food. And, and my friend had the first one with the apartment, you know, and, uh, I was on the phone and someone said, are you calling the lottery? I was like, oh yeah, I played too. No, I'm not. And every night I would call exactly at that time. I think it was like 7.45 or so, like when it came out. And I didn't even think about it. I forgot to call that night. And the next day I was living at with my mom still. The next day I woke up and it just hit me that I didn't call like I would every day. So let me call. I go to call and I lost because it said 1729 and I only had one number that day and I didn't have any sign I didn't have any, wait a minute, I played two numbers. I went upstairs, came down, called, it was that number that the woman gave me. And then I thought to myself, I said, what, what's going on here? Is this real? And I said, and I knew in that moment that wind can come by and blow this ticket out of my hand and it wouldn't even matter. And that voice came back, the intuitive voice said, that's exactly why you want it. I was like, what is this? 
so I got obsessed with understanding, like, is this, is this just like confirmation bias? Something happened and I create a story around it. You know what I mean? Or attention bias. Well, it wouldn't be attention. It'd be confirmation bias. Is this just me making up a story? Like, what is this? Is this grace? Is this how you pray? Is this science to this? Is this, well, what, what's going on here? And, and I, I was obsessed my whole life trying to figure out what this is and how it works. And I finally figured it out, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't, my life wasn't changing. I was telling people about it. Like I do in my, in my Wednesday night uh, classes that you've been to, right? I, I've been like telling people, excited to tell people, but I really wasn't applying it. I was just addicted to the dopamine, the excitement of talking about it, you know, yeah. and how amazing it is. And yet nothing was changing in my life. And a friend rolled his eyes at me when I was telling him about this. And I realized I had to be a living example or never talk about it again. So I spent three months doing this process, very simple process. But after three months, three very important things happened that I realized had to change. And then my life changed. Like everything I, I wanted started just showing up. But I didn't know, again, like the lottery, no longer wanted it. I, 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 it was in a state of having it and everything just started flowing. And I was in this state of a perpetual state of like this recursive loop of desire, positive expectancy, gratitude for already having it and knowing it's happening at the same time. And most of us live in this feeling of a stress response around an unprocessed emotion or sadness or something we can't accept. And we're in an excitement of hope. We've got this feeling of excitement and hope moving towards something. So if we almost get it, we're excited. If we get it, then we're kind of happy for a minute, but then we're terrified of losing it. Then we unconsciously do something to screw it up. And then we're back to anxiety or depression again, looking for the next way to manipulate reality to get closer to the thing that even when we get, we're terrified of as opposed to becoming one with everything or neutralizing the nervous system and then tuning into one thing within that totality of what we are, you know, all that is, and then tuning into that and then live and trusting that there's something else doing the rest if you get out of the way. Like we, that's how we learned to walk and talk. We didn't figure out what to do. We just intended, and the body and brain kept trying, like the, I call it that game of a uh, hotter, colder, colder, hotter, where you hide something and someone's got, that's it. Our job is the one that hides it, knows what it is, loves it, sees it. And then we're consciously aware if life is getting closer or further, but we stay there. We don't leave. That's the, the, the constant. It's just what we want, the feeling and loving it. And everything else is just getting closer or further. Everything else is feedback getting closer to that thing. And and so I, I was so blown away by this process that I decided to teach people what I did <laughs> because I couldn't believe that my life was the way it was. And not only that, my depression and certain kind of uh, very, very harmful thoughts to myself. I was so excited to teach this that I was going to come up with a, a program pretty much. And then I started reading principles and practices that touted the principles that that worked for me. And they were um, mindfulness, radical mindfulness, which is experienced in biofeedback as measured mindfulness with operant conditioning. There's neurolinguistic programming, 
uh, Richard Bandler and John Grinder, the genius has figured out like how to model successful patterns and people and what we do and, and a great model of human behavior. Um, hypnosis, which is absorption of an idea at the exclusion of everything else. So what you're absorbed in affects the body rather than us being hijacked by the body's patterns. So we're basically changing patterns. And a couple of other things, you know, like um, you know, dis- and anything that discharges unprocessed emotions like brain spotting or EMDR or, again, just mindfulness or EFT, things like that. So we become this neutral system that moves towards what we want rather than always running away from what we don't want. And when that happens, we either bounce back <laughs> to what we don't want or we just give up and acquiesce to the fact that, I can't really do anything. And I think that's where all addictions start to come from because when we don't have this purposeful energetic system that's exciting and can create, we go back into the more primitive states, the hedonic tone, pleasure, pain. We start to, to like crave food or gambling or, or sex or shopping or something to get some kind of change in chemistry because our chemistry is not working properly, meaning we don't have this beautiful loop of positive expectancy, gratitude, appreciation, desire, and then seeing everything as feedback rather than a problem or a meaning behind it, you know, because that was a pretty long description of why I do what I do. <laughs> no, that, that's amazing. And there's, there's so much to unpack there. Um, yeah, lots of follow-up questions on that, but I think also maybe we take a big step back for people who aren't as familiar with this space. Like, what is our subconscious mind? Let's start there. Like, what what do you mean by that? And what is that versus our conscious mind? And Okay, well, that's um, another big question. So yeah. subconscious mind, there are a couple of ways to look at it. There's the subconscious mind is everything that's outside of conscious awareness, right? So one can say the subconscious mind is beating your heart right now. Others would say, well, no, that's your brainstem, you know, and parts of the primitive mind. Okay, great. So that's part of the mind that we're unaware of and and the processes that we're unaware of certain ideas that we're running in our minds that we're unaware of for example let's say i want to lose weight and i say okay i'm going to lose weight i'm going to give up sugar but in my subconscious patterning that i'm unaware of now because it became unconscious just like here we go just like driving Sometimes you're driving and you're fantasizing, but you're driving anyway, right? So that's, un- you're unconscious. You're sub, you're not conscious of the fact that you're driving. So it's automated, right? And so there are certain things that are automated that we just are not aware of and we take for granted. Like, oh, I have a sweet tooth as if that's a fact and it becomes a fact. So now, even though we want to lose weight, we see that pie and our brain goes, well, we have a sweet tooth. We can't resist pie. Right. And so we're, we all of a sudden, next thing you know, that program kicks in and it's now running the system rather than our conscious mind running the system. That's why we just helplessly stand by while we watch ourselves eat that pie. And we're like, I don't know. I can't, I can't stop this, but I'm not going to stop it. Right. So that would be an unconscious process. So that's, would be the subconscious mind. Then there's an aspect of that mind that is a creative mind that actually comes up with solutions. So there's the programming that has been habituated through either conditioning or operant conditioning or classical conditioning or through modeling parents' patterns. And we're unaware of it. Like we think we have to be anxious. 
about money. That's like mice. You don't have to be anxious about mice. You just get rid of the mice. They're not good to be in your house, but you don't have to be anxious about it. You have to have a phobia. Well, we just have this idea that we have to freak out because we don't have money. And someone say, well, that you're not, you're not safe. Well, that sympathetic nervous system, that freak out nervous system is for fighting or running. And if you can't fight or run, you don't need it. You need a, a process of intention and, and, and behavior, responsible behavior, not reaction. And so the subconscious mind has all these habitual patterns that are either habits because we just did it and it seemed like a good idea. Coping mechanisms to unprocessed experiences. Example of that would be um, you find the relationship of your dreams and all of a sudden they seem to be pulling away or they're not really texting you back the way they were. And then all of a sudden you unconsciously can't help it, but you want to either be cold, passive aggressive or, or um, accusatory because somehow the brain thinks by modeling parents' behavior or by thinking it worked because once you do that, they're a little bit more attentive. They're terrified and now they feel trapped, but now they're a little bit more attentive. You know, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. You okay? And, and the brain goes, aha. So if I didn't do that, you would have left. Okay. Good. So that's how I keep you around. So it's just this unconscious pattern that thinks it's working. Like when we're terrified on an airplane and it lands, like we're like, Oh, good. We, we're terrified. We prayed it landed. <laughs> if I'm too relaxed in the airplane, it's probably going to go down. So I'll just be <laughs> terrified. And so these patterns just run and we don't question them. It's a, it's an unconscious process that runs. So that would be the programming part. So modeling, operant conditioning, things work, things don't work, ha just habit and, um, and maybe genetic predisposition patterns, you know, pers or personality patterns that are built into the system or mood patterns, right? So that would be th that pattern. And then we have the creative mind that once we have an intention, that creative part comes in to find solutions. What happens if we're not in that intentional creative part of doing things, we're probably just responding to these unconscious patterns and then just forcing it or hoping or working hard wondering why things aren't changing because we, we're not in an intentional mind. We're in a uh, reactive mind. Yeah. I've heard Joe Dispenza talk about how what, like 90 to 95% of kind of our daily behavior for most people is just like the programming, right? We're not even making conscious choice in most of our decisions in a day. There's, there's a guy at a Stanford that's saying the book is determined. He's saying, there is no free will at all. It's just all mm -hmm. patterns. Now, I, I think he's doing it through statistics, like measuring certain patterns in the brain that, or citing tons of studies that show that the brain made the decision before we became consciously aware of it. An example of that is I go to my fridge, I open it, I see milk, oat milk, orange juice. And I choose the oat milk. I don't know why. I think it's a choice, but I wasn't conscious of the fact that earlier that day or two days ago, I was at Starbucks and I saw a real beautiful person ordering, uh, you know, cappuccino. And the person said, "Would you like milk? No, 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 oat milk, please, milk." And then I just took that in, you know, not even really conscious that I took it in. Or then the days before that. I heard that um, the oranges were bad somewhere, just in a paper or something like that. 
uh, <laughs> some news article that I didn't even consciously take in. And then maybe I saw, I was at a farm one day and I just saw a dirty cow's udder, you know. I'm not aware of any of that. That could have happened a month ago. And then I have my own physiological response in this moment. I open the fridge and I choose oat milk, not even knowing why. Mm-hmm. I just think I'm making conscious choice. So on some level, and not on some level, every level that's very true. That's why it's very important to practice the print, this is called the principles of hypnosis or mm-hmm. neurolinguistic programming or change, which is to be aware and step out of the pattern and find the, the one that steps out of the pattern and sees the pattern as not you. So you can start to influence the pattern and, and be conscious to new stimuli. Your own choice of the, so if you're paying attention to something new, mindfully really experiencing something that you wouldn't normally pay attention to and you relax hypnosis and you get absorbed in it, hypnosis and you start feeling it, hypnosis. And then suddenly a month from now or a week or a day from now, you make a new choice that you think is a conscious choice, but it, it became automatic. And it just becomes easy. And then people say, wow, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. As a client once said to me, how come I drove out by a bakery and I go by every day and I always feel craving and I had no craving. I just, because we had a different thought about a bakery and, and that was allowed in. And that's all hypnosis or this work is about is realizing that we're in a certain state until about nine mm-hmm. where everything is being soaked up. Seven, eight, nine. And then at one point, it just becomes projections of those patterns and reactions to those patterns. Nothing really, unless it's some traumatic event or something happens that builds on an existing pattern. We don't really change. We just keep reacting to the patterns. That's why by stopping for a moment, stepping out of the pattern, doing some meditation, stuff like that, and imprinting it. But it's very sneaky because it it's basically believes its life, the pattern. Mm-hmm. The thoughts of who we are, our memories, our future expectations, what we feel about ourselves, this, the autobiographical self. It really feels like that's who we are. And so when we become that and we become one with it, we don't want it threatened. So if, if our subconscious is really kind of like dictating most of our day and we have these old patterns, some of which serve us well, some of which don't, how do you make that switch? How do you start to reprogram that subconscious level so that, yeah, you can see the changes you want in your life? Yeah, uh, show up on Wednesday nights and <laughs> we'll go through because <laughs> it takes a while to. It's a lot, yeah. Yeah. All right. So in a nutshell, um, you have to do the opposite of what you did when the program got stuck. So, well, let me give you, since you, can I mention a funny story about Joe Dispenza, about my experience yeah. with him? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is a perfect example of, how this works and how sneaky it is. And once you know it, then you either do it or you don't, but you don't beat yourself up anymore, which is cool because you know what you're doing. You just do it or you don't. You don't think that somehow you're weak or stupid or or you did it again because that just keeps the system going. You have to, excuse me, you have to be kind to the system. You have to be firm like a child, but you have to be kind to it because you don't really work with it. It won't work with you. It'll, it'll just have its own life, what they call parts. It'll have its own experience. So 
So after I started doing this for a living, I was missing this, you know, because I did this for like two years nonstop. And I was getting jealous, you know, because I was like, I want someone to do this to me, you know, because I, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it in my office all day. And I was thinking if this person knew what I was really giving them, if they're willing to really surrender to that new pattern, it's priceless. And I thought, I want to go to someone who knows this like I know it. And, you know, some of the people like Neville Goddard and Joseph Murphy, they're not here anymore. So they don't know, you know, I couldn't go to them. And so then I found Joe Dispenza's book, first, first one, Changing the um, Habit of Being Yourself, and then the placebo. At this point, I understood hypnosis and the placebo. To some extent, you can never really understand it, but better than most, I would say, most uh, laymen. And I'm like, oh, and I'm hearing words like you have to disengage right? Disengage. I was like, wow, that's exactly what you have to do. Okay, this guy gets it. And then he talks about space. And I'm certified in open focus. And open focus is was uh, was discovered by Les Femi, who's a scientist who was studying, trying to create alpha waves in the brain. And when he told his students, or when he just gave up, he noticed a flood of alpha waves, which basically means that the neocortex is in a nice neutral state. So it's not, it's not trying to process. It feels comfortable, which makes sense. Because if you're aware of space, what can hurt space? Nothing. So if the nervous system is very, very safe, the brain has alpha waves. It doesn't have to process a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's neutral. It's like, Oh, now you have the, the, the choice to choose because if everything's neutral, now you're not in a, in a survival state, right? So if you're on the Serengeti and you know there are no lions around, right? And you know that there's no tribesmen with spears, right? And you're very, very comfortable. Then you're like, wow, let's build a treehouse. Then you can be creative because the nervous system feels safe. So when I saw that, I said, okay, this guy gets it, you know? <laughs> this guy gets it. And I heard a story about what he did in the hospital every day. And so I did it with creating a future. He did it with his spine. I said, okay, I'm going to go to this guy's workshop. I go to his workshop and he sounds just like me. He's spending like most of the time trying to convince people. I mean, I, I like I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was just like, yeah, are you hearing him? This is how it works. <laughs> and he keeps saying, are you with me? Are you with me? And then if you're, you're thought of that future, <laughs> are you with me? And he keeps going over and over again. And I'm like, preach it. But I don't really care what he has to say. I get what he has to say. Everything he's saying, I'm like, let's get to the meditation. I just want to be in a place where everyone's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So he goes in for meditation. He goes, and remember, before we go into this meditation, that state of your future self now, that's a signal getting your body to create that future. Are you with me? You want to stay in it. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, if you go back to the old self, then you said you don't want that future. You're not in this state. And he kept saying it a million times. So this is how sneaky this is, though. That's my point here. Mm-hmm. So I'm there. And then suddenly I go, we're in the meditation. Everyone's crying. I got tears running down my, when our future self, we're in the state of the wish fulfilled, as Neville Goddard talks about, right? And I'm just so happy. And then he stops. He goes, let's take a break. I said, I'm not taking a break. I'm gonna, I know how this works. If I just stay here, my body and brain will figure it out. It doesn't mean I don't take action, but I take action with that juxtaposition of the state and that feeling with what is. And that contrast, 
tells my body and brain what to do with what is like walking down the street and walking up to the corner to the convenience store. You know what I mean? Like it knows it has, it's, I really believe it's transduction from the spirit world into the body as a feeling and then into the physical world. So it's like a microphone transduces information. You, so you have to stay in the information of that. And that this information is a feeling of gratitude and receiving. It's not a feeling of wanting, right? And we'll get to the why some people would argue with that because wanting is what makes things happen. What are you talking about? But we'll get to that in a minute. There's a different yeah, process there. Yep. Okay, good. <laughs> so we're in this state, right? I'm in this state. And he goes, okay, let's take a break. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to stay here all day. I remember this. I stayed here for two years. I had everything just show up. I just plant like a seed and I was just being the moment. It would show up. By the time it showed up, I didn't care because I was the consciousness of the feeling, of the thought, of the idea. So, of course, it's going to show up, right? And he goes, one more time. Remember, <laughs> if you leave this state, he's like screaming at people. If you leave this state, you want that. You don't want that future. If you decide to let another pattern, unconscious pattern, kick in, and you become, you don't let this pattern be the new unconscious, right? You're gonna, you're not gonna bring that future to you, you to it. Everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I get up. These two women, we're all walking to go get coffee or whatever. And this, these two women get up and they got tears running down their face. And I hear, how was your meditation? Oh, that was so beautiful. How was your, oh, so beautiful. And so one of the women women turns to the other woman and says, yeah, so nice. Did you get a room with a view? She goes, yeah, I got (laughs) watching the lake. She goes, you know, they said I had a room with a view. I got a palm tree. Is that a view or is blocking the lake? Just because there's a palm. You know, you know what? I was at the restaurant for 20 minutes waiting for my cheeseburger last night. I was at the bar for 15 minutes waiting for a drink. You'd think they'd have more servers with 400 people in this in this hotel. You'd think they'd have. And I'm like, Am I, where, where's the microphone? Where's the camera? I'm being punked, right? I'm, I'm being punked. And then this guy, other guy walks up to me and goes, hey, Joe, how you doing? I was like, good. He goes, how was your meditation? I said, oh, I'm, I'm doing great. Because you know what I notice? What? Because <laughs> you know, women don't aren't as nice as you'd think they'd be here. Like, like you know, just a safe place. I'm saying well, hi to women. They don't even like to say hi back. I'm like, there's a camera. There's a camera <laughs> testing us. I'm I'm being put on here. And then in that moment, I realized something really, really wild. I realized I was doing the same thing. Mm. I couldn't believe. Yeah that we have this magic and people being given this magic, it's like people starving and here's the food and you're not eating it. Like, and I realized that was my unconscious process my whole life, which was, I, I know this is true. Let me share f- for you guys. So you don't hate me because I'm successful and you could be successful too. And you don't get depressed and hurt yourself. And so <laughs> then you'll be good and you won't, um, <laughs> You, you'll think I'm important and you won't leave me because I have something to share. That's it. And I realized that was my pattern. I didn't even realize it was yeah. there. This is how sneaky it is and, and how interesting it is. Yeah. Wow. That's a funny story. So sneaky. It's so sneaky. Um, it's there all the time. It's happening right now. We're not even aware of it. <laughs> right. And then, but you caught yourself in that moment, right? And yeah. isn't that what they say is like a step in the right direction, right? It's not that we're all going to slip at some time. We're human oh, beings. Yeah. Our mind is going to default. It's catching us in that slip. 
catching ourselves and then. Yeah. And it's not just catching yourself and saying, oh, I made a mistake. It's catching yourself and, and recognizing there's a lot of energy and emotional glue to a certain pattern that that's based on an unprocessed or unmastered moment in life, which was being in a family or a situation where people are suffering and you want to fix them. And so that pattern is always there. So you're always looking for the suffering people to fix and you can't fix that by doing that. You have to fix by intentionally imagining them how that you'd like them to be. And then the behavior is aligned with the intention rather than the projection of the negative. Does that make sense? Mm. Mm-hmm. So you can't project a negative and then try to force it and fix it. Yeah, you can control things, you can manipulate things, but you're projecting the very thing you don't want. And if you process the thing you don't want by accepting it and processing it and being helpless to not being able to control something that may or may not happen, then you can start tuning into a desired outcome and let the body's emotions be a processing of getting closer to that outcome. So these moments are means to an end rather than this moment is an end in itself that keeps regurgitating itself and we keep trying to control. So that's why the only thing we pay attention to when we learn to walk or talk is the end result. Everything else is our body processing. We don't pay attention to the falling. We just learn from it and go deeper into the walking or deeper into the word water or whatever that is. Yeah, that makes sense. So speaking of like something that you want, you see something you want now, this idea of manifestation. I know earlier you said you're not a woo-woo person and I'm I'm not either, I don't think. I, I look at this as more science. I think it is science than woo-woo-ness. Um, but we live in LA and there's a lot of talk about manifestation and it's like, just put a vision board up and stare at it every day and cite the, the your affirmations and then you'll get what you want. Like where... Where do you really start? You mentioned the state of being and having, and can you walk us through like how, what you should actually be doing? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So when we want something, right. If we have the wherewithal and, and, or the strategy and, and guaranteed strategy, we actually feel the end result as a possibility. So we feel good. So now we're just, in, in an intentional desiring mode, right? We desire, someone says, I want to be a, a biologist, marine biologist. I know how to do that, right? You, could, you get your bachelor's, you get a master's, you get a PhD maybe, and, and maybe you want to work with whales. So you get a, a, a mammalian, a, a, a bio, um, a, what did I just say? Oh, marine biology, right? And then you you focus on mammals and it's, it's specifically whales. And so you can have that vision because you know it's possible, right? And so you get excited about it. And because the brain feels that it's within reach, the desire and the having become the same thing. You just watch the body want to get closer to the thing you already decided is yours, right? But let's say you take the same situation and you have a um, a family that's really blue collar. They don't know much about like uh, education or anything like that, or how to, to become a marine biologist, or even think that's possible, right? Or to you know hang out with whales, right? And you have a four year old, and the four year old is on a boat with their parents, and a whale breaches, and the child goes, <gasps> and just falls in love, mm-hmm. and the parents say. 
Do you know, if you work hard, you keep working hard, you'll be able to save up for vacations where they actually scuba dive with whales or snorkel with whales somewhere, right? And because it seems out of reach, like how am I going to spend my life with whales? Like, Ma, I want to live with these whales. I want to take care of them, right? But if the parents know that there's a path, what do they say? Oh, you want to do that? Would you like to work all day with these whales? Yeah. Would you like to teach people how to take care of them? Yeah. Would you like to swim with them? And yeah, how do I do that? And then it tells it, it's reverse engineering. You take, you get the end result backwards. Okay. After that, before that PhD, you got your master's. Before that, you got your bachelor's. Before that, you went to high school and that's where you're going next year. You're going to high school. You're on the, well, the, obviously the child's not fourth. It's fourth, but you know what I mean? And, uh, and now there's a, a kind of little mini goals that feel possible and the brain goes, yay. How we suffer is when we do one of two things. We know we want something. I want to be a rock star, a movie star. I want to swim with whales. And then one of two things happen. It's either we don't have the, the, the belief that it can happen. It feels like there's too much of a chasm between us and this thing. We don't feel like we have a path. No one tells us there's a path. There's no guarantee to the path. And we're terrified of being embarrassed on the way there, rejection, whatever that is. And so I don't even bother. And I delete the possibility. It's just some kind of weird fantasy. But And I think that's one of the core reasons why we have depression is because we don't know how to align our subconscious and our conscious mind with a sense of purpose like when we learn to walk or talk. Like I remember we, how much we love food today, right? I remember as a child playing all day, my mother screaming to, to, for us to come in to eat food. Like, I don't want to eat food. I'm playing all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was playing. I was overcoming challenges. I was getting excited about things. So I didn't need any pleasure that's, you know, from the hedonic tone, even though that was pleasurable, but it was pleasurable through purpose and overcoming challenges and connection, not just wanting to release discomfort and and change my body chemistry because I'm I'm un, unhappy. So, first thing we want to do is recognize when we want something. One way, a very practical NLP way, a very practical way of doing, of, of achieving that goal is to recognize the difference between a goal and a state. Mm. So a state is, do I want a relationship or do I want to feel loved and, and wanted? Well, relationship's not going to change your state of not being wanted. It actually will reflect it. At first, it'll give you hope because it looks like it's reflecting the opposite. But that's not, that's just excitement, you know, dopamine and God knows what else is going in on in our chemistry to feel a sense of hope. Like when we're hungry, we're going to get something we're excited about, but we're really suffering when we're hungry. We're just aware that we're suffering when the restaurant's closed. But until then, we're excited, right? The same thing happens when you think a goal is going to change your state, like your happiness. You think it's going to get rid of a negative feeling. So that's the first problem. Because goals are important and things are important. I'd rather live in a warm house than a cold house, right? These are physical things we want to achieve. And when it's a goal, it's a three-dimensional sensorial outcome that would make life better than it is now. That's a goal, right? 
But we have to under also understand that I may be wanting that goal because I think it will get rid of the emotional state I have, the unresolved issue. For example, if I didn't feel important as a child and I never processed those emotions of either fear or sadness and I evaluated it based on this experience, right? I have an image called uh, me being like not wanted. I have a belief or meaning called there's something inherently wrong with me or no one likes me. And then I think if I work hard, I'm going to change my life. And the reason why we do this is because it kind of feels like it. Like if we get really handsome, some, suddenly someone wants us, you know, or good looking someone, or we all of a sudden get the cool sneakers or we're get, we get some money and people look at us. So it kind of feels like that's the opposite of what this, the pattern that's stuck in our brain. So what's stuck in our brain is the unresolved issue. So what do we have in our brain as the dominant pattern? What we want or the pattern that got stuck that we never processed? Pattern that got stuck. So that's a pattern of rejection. What do we have in our body? The excitement of being loved and wanting more of it in the world or a feeling of being rejected? Okay, so now we have hurt in our body, a picture of rejection in our mind, a belief, self-fulfilling prophecy, I'm not wanted. And so while I'm spending all my time trying to manip manipulate the world to change and getting excited because I have that ability, I'm going to keep attracting the very person who's not interested or is going to change their mind or whatever, betray, betray me so I can re-experience that pattern, which I find interesting because Freud called it repetition compulsion. Uh, Jung said whatever's not looked at in the subconscious mind and, and dealt with will dictate our future, we'll call it fate, right? And in gestalt therapy, they call it not having closure. So I'm not having closure. Why are you rejecting me? Well, closure would be accepting that some people don't want us or some people do and then they change their mind or some people just want us for money or sex or something or companionship. And then they change their mind when someone like that's life. If we don't master these moments, we keep trying to manipulate ourselves and others in order to quell that vulnerable self that never been has been integrated back into the system. And so then we're, we basically have a child who's scared and I say to it or we say to it, don't worry, we're going to get really rich so we don't feel embarrassed again. Don't worry, we'll get it really tough so we don't ever feel humiliated or shamed again. Don't worry, we'll be really gorgeous so we don't will ever be rejected again. And so in parts, it's Schwartz, they call it, uh, Schwartz from uh, No Bad Parts calls it these managers that keep manipulating ourselves and others just not to feel sad. And we think if we, so that's the first thing we have to understand is that the thing we want oftentimes, especially when we're suffering, what the Buddhists call like desire that's suffering, is really saying I need something in an impermanent world, by the way, <laughs> that if I get in an impermanent world, I'll be okay. How could you hold on to something in an impermanent world that's going to move anywhere? That's suffering in itself, right? So what we want to do is reverse the process. And what we want to do is start imagining what we want as if it's happening now. And here's the, I like to call, there's like four or five principles in the simplest way of looking at it. One is I kind of, there are many ways to do this. You can step out of your body or you can do it within your body. So let's say, um, I'm always not feeling like anyone wants me, right? In a relationship or I don't have enough money or something, right? I want to yeah. start imagining the end result 
but I want to fool the brain just for a moment. So you tell the brain, leave me alone just for a moment. I promise, I, I believe you, you know the truth. Brain just believes it knows the truth, right? <laughs> I know you know the truth. I know this is just a fantasy. I want to change my chemistry. I promise you, I promise you, I'm not trying to change the reality. And I don't believe this is true. I, I, I just want to experience them like a movie. Is that okay? And the brain will leave you alone. So then you, you, you pick one scene. And here's the key. You pick one scene, what in NLP, that's why I fell in love with uh, ben, uh, Richard Bandler and John Greener's work, is when they called it evidence procedure, because that's what I did over and over again, which is you pick one scene that tells you you've achieved that goal. But I'd like to add, that's where you can bring the state in too, which is what would you feel if you had that goal? Are you feeling wanted? There's like about seven patterns that we would see. Do you feel wanted? Ah, oh, do you feel needed? Ah, oh, it's an ah feeling. It's not a, like excitement. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't have to want anymore. I feel wanted. I feel or connected or adored or I can, I have things. I have everything I want. I have all the things I want. Or it's freedom. I get to do what I want whenever I want or purpose or, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I pretty much covered them. There's, there's ador uh, being adored, being desired, welcomed. With me, it was feeling welcomed, like like we thank you, thank God you're here. And what's really weird is when I first started imagining like people going, "Thank God you're here," as if I somehow must have given enough value to them somehow for them to go, "Oh, thank God you're here." Like you do with the doctor who saves your life, you know? <laughs> oh, thank, oh, there you are, <laughs> you know. When I started feeling that, what, what, what um, blew my mind was here I am visualizing people welcoming me. And I started feeling a feeling of, ah, oh, which really all that was happening is I was releasing the tension around the emotions that got stuck with when people didn't welcome me or hated me or didn't want me around. In a sense that I was letting emotion move that was supposed to be moving that got stuck. So the challenge that was supposed to be a means to that end now became my whole life, the end in itself that I kept recreating, always working hard to change the world, but never really uh, having the feeling, thinking I did, because my world, I made sure everyone needed me. I felt really, I was really valuable. People needed me. I had this kind of bartending fame in a sense, like people knew who I was, but I didn't, when I started imagining what I really wanted, people welcoming me, it was foreign to me. And I realized, this is what I realized that when you have a, an image or a script of yourself as, and it's negative, we do one of two things. We either fight, fight to be really thin or really valuable or really lovable or really wanted, whatever it is, or really tough, right? We fight, fight, fight. And we like, I like to call it, we David Goggins it, you know, like, <laughs> We fight against our own pattern, subconscious pattern, if, if we have that personality type. Or we have the wherewithal to be able to fight it. We fight, fight, fight. One of the two things happen, three things. We either get what we want and we're always spending the rest of our life trying to maintain it. Or it bounces back because this always wins. You know, we gain the weight or we lose the money and then we have to get, gain that money again, you know, make that money again. Or we just acquiesce and say, fuck it. Excuse my French. Can I curse you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we say, okay. We say, fuck it. Right. And then we just go into the hedonic tone. That's where a lot of addiction starts. Like, I'm just going to, 
screw it. I'm just going to make myself comfortable since I'm so miserable here. Mm-hmm. So that's important to understand when we're manifesting something, which is we're just using the principles of intention and creative intention. The only reason it gets woo-woo is because when you reverse this process, let me go back to the, the original point. So you're imagining one scene over and over again that not only, I like to call it your heaven scene as if like you died and you stayed here for eternity so you can acquiesce to this feeling of being loved 24 hours a day in a loop. Loved, appreciated, valued. So you're practicing two things, receiving and focus. The other two are the most important or three. The other three are the most important. While you're practicing your focus and the receiving, the experiential focus of receiving it, which is absorption, which is hypnosis, right? You're absorbing in the idea and it's going in. You have to not exclude. So accept everything else that's not that. These are moments that were supposed to pass that got stuck. Mm-hmm. You don't exclude the negative emotions around those patterns. You let them come and go. You just devalue. That's why I went to Joe Dispenza. I saw that word. I was like, this guy gets it. You devalue, you disengage, and you let your body do the processing. You, you make sure there's no meanings around those other pictures because the meaning is what froze the emotion and the emotion is what's stuck to the image. As the emotion moves, the image gets to move. As the meaning is released, you now have feedback that you're supposed to have getting closer to the physical version of this thing you have in your inner world, you know? And you just have to, it's that simple. You just have to do it over and over and over and over again until the only thing in your awareness is the thing you want while everything else that could happen, might happen, or has happened can come and go through that and it doesn't deter or take you away from this feeling and this image as your constant and permanence permanent state of being while everything else moves. And what happens is it makes so much sense, right? Like, how am I going to, like, imagine I'm going to San Francisco. I'm driving from LA to San Francisco, right? How am I going to go from here to San Francisco? If, if I can't in my own mind, let everything else come and go, right? And I'm headed somewhere. If I can't even do it in my mind without getting distracted or being afraid of that or saying no to that or being really curious about that, how would I do it in life? How would I keep going if all of a sudden that city seemed more interesting or or I was afraid to, to, to go over that bridge? So this is why if you can't hold an idea while all the stuff comes and goes, that's how you just reprocess all the stuff the simplest way. There are many other formal ways to do it, discharging energy and tapping, like I said, open focus, brain spotting, EMDR, uh, so many different ways to allow the emotions to continue to move. But think about it that way. If I can't even focus on where I'm going without all these distractions in life and these, some are pleasure, some are avoidance, some are fear, some are uh, just discomfort, some impatience. If I can't kind of stay there while all this comes and goes, how could I do that in the world? I can't. I'm going to be headed to my goal and get rejected and drop it rather than rejected, feeling that emotion, processing it and getting closer to my goal in the face of that rejection. So it's a means to an end rather than the meaning becoming the end. And then that's the picture. So the picture needs to be constant and everything else needs to be impermanent. That's how you do it. Yeah. So much of what you just said hit in a different way for me right now. And I want to make sure I'm 
kind of understanding it right. Like, let's go back to this idea of relationship because you mentioned it. And that's actually an area of my life that hasn't come as easily as other areas of my life. Um, and so, you know, I desire to be in a relationship, right? But really you're saying, well, what's the feeling that I have in a relationship? Like that feeling that I think is going to make me feel better than I do right now, right? Like what is that feeling? And really tuning in with that feeling and not the actual state of the relationship, but the feeling. And then I have to hold on to that feeling as I'm getting feedback of like going on bad dates and getting rejected. Yeah, yeah. So that's the whole thing. A relationship, the reason we crave it, the way we crave it in suffering, one can say, well, we're mammals. We crave it. Um, and yes, the mammal likes relationships, but the mammal also doesn't repress and come up with limiting beliefs about why the, the other mammals got mad at it. It just takes its place in the connection uh, uh, um, uh, system, you know, which is, okay, I'm, I have to, you know, I'm more sub- subservient. You know? So that's what animals do, right? And so, yeah, we, uh, the, the mammal needs connection because that's as safe, connection to the mammal is as safe to a, a rock to a lizard from a hawk, you know, it's the same thing. It's just that it's, but it's, again, it's back to safety, right? So when we are wanting and, and we're in a craving of a relationship, it's usually because we want something that is the opposite of what got stuck. For example, if we never process the image of rejection, then we're always going to be in pain wanting someone that is not going to want us or, or to choosing this something, the person who's kind of avoidant, but at first they don't seem avoidant because they're love bombing you or something, right? Yep. Um, and, and so it feels like it's going to solve the problem. And, but it can, it actually reflects the problem because all of a sudden, even if they're perfect, the nervous system would push them away until they left and then it would prove the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like the cat that goes like this one with the glass. <laughs> it just needs to recreate the pattern that's, that doesn't have closure. It has to. So there's only really two to three patterns in relationships. There's, there's I'm not enough, which is like I'm invisible, no one cares, I'm not wanted, I'm not important. There's I'm trapped, like I'm trapped. I can't do what I want. I'm always in trouble. So, so one person has an image of someone being needy and going to get angry at them or get cold or trigger their guilt or shame or feeling of restriction. And the other one is feeling like uh, you're going to leave me. I'm not good enough. And I'm, and so those are the patterns. And the third pattern is I'm just not good enough. So it's that you're not leaving me. You know, you're not leaving me. I just don't seem to be able to make you happy enough. Like, you always seem like kind of happy, but not really happy. That's the I'm not good enough pattern. So you get those three. One is like, oh, God. Like, now you're mad at me rather than adoring me. So they come together because of the unprocessed stuff. So I'll give you that little role play. Is that okay? Yeah. Give you Okay. So this person, let's just say um, Johnny, right? Johnny... And I'm only speaking from my generation. See, the generations are changing because women became more <laughs> yeah. independent. But in my generation, it was pretty much this pattern, probably 70, 80%. That's probably 50, 50. Okay. So Johnny, Johnny's mother was overbearing. It was like always either happy with Johnny or mad or disappointed. Well, where are you going, Johnny? Get in. To, get, get, I said, come to dinner. 
no, go, go out with your friends, you know, like, so, so mom's love was like conditional, meaning like, I love you, but you better do what I say. So Johnny's got guilt and restriction in unprocessed because he's not old enough to go, mom, hi, I know you care. I know you care about me and you're worried about me, but just worry and be vulnerable. Don't yell at me like that. And don't be cold to me and don't get angry at me. Just tell me you want more. And, and you know, because that's not okay. <laughs> Johnny doesn't have that ability to master and be, become an adult, right? So they're now, as soon as that emotion gets stuck, they're a child. They respond to their mom by doing one of three things. They either lie and omit everything so mom doesn't get angry. They become afraid of mom. They're not like narcissists. They're just afraid of mom, <laughs> right? And they're lying because they don't want mom. They don't want, because they're dealing with their nervous system. They don't want mom to get mad at them or upset at them. Okay, good. So now I'm lying. Or I explode when mom traps me in something I did do I shouldn't have done, but I, 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 I haven't learned anything. I'm just trying to hide from her. She catches, and then I explode and, uh, and gaslight or defend, right? And, uh, and, and then I over-exaggerate when I feel like I messed up. I ex- over-exaggerate the, the compliance. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Please, please. I'll never do it again, mom. I'll never do it again. So now they, even though the mom's happy, they feel trapped. Like, uh oh, now I always have to worry about what I'm doing because mom's going to pull away her love or get angry. Okay. So that's Johnny, right? Mm-hmm. So what does Johnny have in his subconscious mind as the most dominant pattern? Cause there's only three patterns the brain cares about, in my opinion, as far as that, the, the programming part, not the, the survival part. Three patterns. The thing I haven't resolved, uh-oh, mom's going to get mad at me again or control me or not love me. And I want to, I want the love. Who doesn't want like kindness and appreciation, right? Either the unprocessed moment, the fantasy, wow. Well, look at that woman. What is she called? What does she do for a living? Oh, she's going to love me and not be mad at me and not control me. Oh, and then they look for a, like a hookups or one night stands, or even prostitution, because it feels like, wow, I'm not saying all people have this passion, right, but it's that, right. it's that idea. It's like, wow, someone's going to love me unconditionally and adore me and then leave me alone. Wow. Freedom and love at the same time. Cool. Right. So that's Johnny. So you got those three patterns. The thing I can't accept or have in process, the fantasy that will make, get rid of it. That can never happen because if it's a fantasy, that means this is the reality and the fantasy is just a hope, but this reality will always win. It's like Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. It won't be ignored. And so, and then they have the, the third pattern is what we really want, which is an internal, this is called a spirit pattern or soul pattern that is real and constant, which is the anima, of the perfect loving feminine for Johnny going, I love you. Go, go, go play with your friend. I'm here watching, but you go, you're independent, autonomous. Yeah. Go, go. I gotcha. It's, it's based on the, the, the um, stages of development too, about shame versus autonomy and things like, and, and then, uh, industry versus inferiority, like not, not like feeling like I need my parents' help. But for, for here, that's Johnny. Okay. Now Johnny meets Mary, right? And Mary's energy is, Hey, dad, look what I got. Look what I did for school. And, and dad is just like, well, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and watches television or is at work and feeling alone. Not someone like, hi, how are you? Well, women oftentimes say, I want connection. Again, I'm talking about my generation now. 
everyone is shifting and changing. But I want connection. Like I want someone to just listen and, 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 and welcome me and acknowledge me, my presence, right? Just acknowledge my presence. So that pattern is I'm not being acknowledged, right? So all of a sudden, Mary is 14 or 15. She starts to change and all everyone in school goes like this to me. And Mary goes, oh, I'm finally being acknowledged, confusing, being wanted with being loved or welcomed. And so Mary gets addicted to that pattern. So now Mary's here. And what happens when Mary sees John, Johnny, right? When Mary sees Johnny, the first thing she feels is anxiety. Because she, her nervous system knows that Johnny's not someone who's going to connect her, anyone, maybe her or anyone for that matter, because it's terrified to really like be connected to someone and let the rest of the world come and go, right? Because that, that's entrapment connection to Johnny, right? But <clears throat> Johnny sees Mary. So she sees, she's got anxiety, but because Johnny looks at her because she looks good or does something that's charming, now she's got dopamine, like excitement and anxiety, just like hunger and and, and then there's, a, there's some food available. Okay. Now, Johnny meets Mary, and Mary looks really, wow, Mary likes me and adores me, but she's independent. She's like, oh, oh, oh you want to go on a date? Okay, wow, you're amazing. Bye. Not knowing that Mary's like on his Instagram for hours. <laughs> it's like, wow, she's just like so cool, right? Um, so she's so independent, and she likes me. And then they start to date. Wow, honeymoon. Honeymoon is just, wow, Mary's saying, you promise me you'll just make me the most important person in the universe, which you are, because you're going out with your friends and you're like leaving them early to come home to me. You can have anyone and yet you're choosing me. Wow, perfect. Promise me you'll just keep doing that because what's really Mary's feeling is hope chemistry, excitement chemistry. And that's just no different than having a lot of sugar or cocaine, (laughs) To, to get rid of the feeling of loss chemistry, fear chemistry, or hurt chemistry. Follow? So now we call that love. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then he's independent. But where does he want to go? Here. Oh, my God. I know he could, but he doesn't. Oh, my God. And he's saying, wow, Mary, this woman's like so cool. I'm out my friend. She's like, go out, your friends. Come over. To- oh, I can't wait to see her. My God. I can- oh, I got perfect unconditional love, he's saying. And, and, and she's like, I got perfect unconditional connection. Oh, how wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful three, four months. And then Johnny is feeling so good, even though this is an unconscious pattern starting to come to the surface because it won't be ignored. Johnny's feeling so good. So he thinks that he feels so good because he's with Mary. That for some reason, he feels so good, he forgets to text Mary one night, and he's out with his friends and leaves his phone in the car unconsciously, right? In his mind, ah, I'm free and I'm in love. How great is this? Her mind is like, oh, he, he loves me. He's going to text me later. Now, hey, how come you're not texting me? This person doesn't know. Mary starts going from, I love you and adore you, Free, free love and adore, adoration, no matter what, go out your friends to, hey, what's going on? Oh, I can't be too needy. So I'll just say, I hope everything's okay. Uh, you said you would text me at 10. No big deal. Hope you're having fun. And then uh, 20 minutes go by. I'm just, now I'm just a little concerned. Just let me know that you're okay. 
Now, Mary is playing what scene? Her unprocessed scene or the love scene that she says she wants? The unprocessed scene that, oh, I'm going to be left again. So what's coming up? Her fear and hurt or excitement to see him again? Her fear and hurt. So she, her nervous system has learned the only way to, I ever learned as an adult to deal with it because I never became an adult in this situation, right, is to start texting again. Now I'm really concerned. All right, I guess you're having a good night. All right, well, your stuff is on the porch. Have a good effing life, <laughs> right? So he's fine. He just left the phone in the car. and But he unconsciously needs this to happen because whatever is unprocessed has to go back into source. Has to, That vulnerable self has to be integrated so we can be with a vulnerable self but an adult self at the same time. This is not easy. I know this because sometimes it's like intense childhood trauma where you just left in a room for hours, so... I'm not devaluing the intensity of this, but I'm saying that this is how it works. And now he goes to his phone. Oh, where's my phone? Oh, what time is it? I was having such a good time with you guys because I'm in love. So that's safe. And I'm free, which is cool. I'm in love. I get the happiest life ever, but I don't have my phone. Uh, let me go to my car and get the phone. And he reads 10,000 <laughs> texts. And he's now terrified. So he's back now to a child who's in trouble. Mommy's pulling away her love. And now he comes home. Juan, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's like, no, no, go ahead. Go out with your friends. I don't get pulls away. I'm sorry. Please. So she's either angry. Mom's angry. And I'm going to get angry back or hide or, or make it good. Or mom's just pulling away and getting hurt. And now I have guilt. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so never happen again. I'll never happen again. And she goes, oh, it's kind of working. Well, at least that works. And now you wake up, you have some makeup sex, you wake up in the morning, and now you have a trauma bond rather than a, a, a relationship, <laughs> a, a honeymoon period. The good news is if you can get past this, and that person is your person, this person is like, yeah, you really want to make work it out. Then when you do some family therapy and you deal with these emotions and you really process them, it's not just talking, it's like really feeling the terror of the vulnerability, integrating those vulnerable parts then when intimacy happens, it's a real honeymoon period because you've healed the wounds of the parent that you have with the parents. That was a long. Wow. No, I think you just summarized my dating life. <laughs> I, I, I got I've, as me, as well as many people's, I'm sure. But <laughs> everyone's if yeah. it's in if it's in trauma, that's what's happening. If it's if if they're experiencing uh, anxiety, that's exactly what's happening every single time. I've never seen it any other way. I mean, a couple yep. of variables, but in general. Right. And then, and then I guess like whether it's relationship or if you have blocks around money, because I, I think we all have areas of our life that probably flow easier than others, right? And right. some areas that feel totally blocked. But I'm assuming if it's like money, for example, it's the same kind of unresolved emotions or programming around money that yeah. creep in. So you might make a million dollars and then find a way to lose it real quick. Right. Right. That money, that thing you want has to be the most important thing in the world. And either it's the most important thing in the world because you will not be broken, never feel those feelings of being broken. Then you'll get rich, but then you'll never feel like you, you got there and you'll be afraid of losing it. And you may even unconsciously lose it. Or, um, you have to decide it's the most important thing in the world because you're in love with it and it's your highest positive value. And then you're taking every action to move closer to it. And what's called an away from versus a towards goal. You know what I mean? If you're somewhere in the in between, 
where you want money, but you have a belief you can't or it's hard, or you have a script that would rather spend money, right, than invest money. And you just have to break those old patterns to be the person who can have that a thing. So if you're visualizing a perfect relationship and you can't just be vulnerable or you can't accept that someone just may want to just sleep with us or, you know, or just want, um, or commitment phobic, or they, they only want someone who doesn't want them, or they don't know how to like be in a, like, like break a woman who, in this case, since you're a woman, right? Mm-hmm. In your situation, a woman who could have the relationship you're envisioning is someone who's okay with like, hey, it seems like you changed your mind. Like, it, well, no, I haven't changed. No, it seems like you have. It's okay. And then move on because you're moving closer. But if we're stuck in that, like, why are they doing it? If I just figure it out, it'll be okay. Maybe I need to be more you know, quiet or maybe I need to ask for my need. Like all these games we try to play rather than hold our goal in place and see if this is matching it or not and not be afraid to move towards our goal, which means we have to be willing to accept the vulnerable self that has to process with someone who looks perfect, whatever that means, right? Who checks all the boxes is not interested in us. Like that's called life. Like, don't we have a right to be not interested in someone (laughs) because we check all the boxes for them and, so once you release that emotion and, and allow it to pass in the face of the relationship you want, the brain sees that as a means to an end rather than the end in itself that we have to manipulate, wonder, hope, wish, get angry about, call the person name. So whatever it is that we do when we get stuck. Wow. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, it seems so simple, but it's hard. It's so hard. Well, that's the right? good news be because, so yeah. Yeah. I'm like, sorry like, to cut you up, but it's, it's, no, it is hard. I was, I, I was going to say, it's just, you know, it's, it is simple and technique, but um, yeah, I don't want to take away from the fact that it can be really hard to work through some of those emotions or if you're struggling with money to like be in the state of having when everything in your life is the not having, right? You're, you're, you might not make your rent. You got this happening, you know, like that. It's hard. It's really hard. And I, I know I've like, set the intention to be in this state and have the feeling and maybe I make it a week or two week and you start to get these hits of like, okay, I think it's working. I'm meeting this person or this happened and then boom, something happens and it kind of like takes you out of it. Well, I'm going to push back on that if that's okay. Okay. <laughs> Do it. Yes, please. First, first of all, it's not that they take you out of it. That's the information you need to get deeper into it. Mm. And when it takes you out of it, it's because you're now on the way to it by mastering a moment called, oh, good information. This person's not interested. Some people just are interested in the beginning. Some people are just interested in romance. By not going through it and taking you out of it, you'll keep attracting that very pattern. But by processing it, letting it go and getting closer to the the end result you know, that hotter, colder, colder, hotter game, right? Yeah. This is why if you're always having what you want inside and you really see, this is why I say, I don't want to say it's hard. Here's a perfect example. What happens in bodybuilders? What do they normally say? No pain, no gain, right? And they know life is, they know it's hard to become Mr. Universe or whatever. And they always say no pain, no gain at the gym and they're fighting. But yet, why did Arnold, who was the master of vision, a guy who 
became, like him or hate him, a guy who became a champion in bodybuilding in, from a country that they didn't really do much of that then, and then became the star in a movie. Okay, it was Conan, so it was right for it. But then became a leading man with that kind of body when all leading men looked like, looked like um, you know, Harrison Ford. With that accent, that last name, became a leading man. He's been leading man roles in huge movies, then becomes the governor of another state from another country, a state from another country, and marries American royalty. What does he say all the time? You have to have vision. But what he, right? But what he also said was, what do you mean no pain, no gain? He was very crude about it, but he said, this is like an orgasm. I'm coming. So why would the same pressure that someone would call pain, he would call, I love it, I want more. Because when it's juxtaposed with your vision, the energy you know is actually creating change to get you close to the vision. You want the pressure, you welcome it, you breathe through it, you say more please, right? I know it's a crude example, but it's a perfect example yeah, like when that. someone yeah. else is saying pain. Well, if you see emotions as the same thing, that your brain is just trying to figure out what to do with the person who does that. But if you don't have your vision and you're not enjoying it and you're not enjoying the experience as, wow, I'm learning a lot as these emotions leave because you evaluated it based on modeling a parent or moments in childhood or just conditioning, that instead of modeling that idea or coming up with a meaning like this means, you're like, wow, no pain, no gain. There's, no, this is like... I'm shaking and crying because I'm tuning into this love of my life and this is not it. My body's learning what to do with it. See, emotions do the learning. We don't. The subconscious does all the processing. We don't. And it goes back to that game of hot, cold. Uh, mm. Let me give you the metaphor of that so you really understand how this works or at least how I understand how it works. How's that? Yeah. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you know the game hot, cold. So I take a, a lemon and I hide it. And someone comes in. Uh, do Who knows where the lemon is? Them or me? Just you. I do. Okay. Yeah. Good. So I know where the lemon. I'm sorry. I get really excited about this because it changed my life. So I'm like, this is how it works. I'll, I'll calm down. <laughs> so hide the, <laughs> I'll hide the lemon. Where, who, what's the constant? The lemon or what that guy's doing? The lemon. Got it. So who's responsible for the constant? Me or him? You. Good. I represent the conscious mind. That guy walking into the room represents the processing mind, the, 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 what's called the servo mechanism, the, the learning mind, the, the, um, the computer, the subconscious mind, if you want. Okay? Okay, good. I don't do anything, do I? He's doing all the work. Who really wants it, me or him? I already have it. Right. Who's missing out on it? Him or me? Good. <clears throat> so if I have it, who's feeling good, me or him? You. Good. Who's not feeling good, me, me or him? Him. Yeah. He's frustrated. He wants in on it. And I'm just like when we learn to walk or say the word water, like my body's going, oh, I want to catch up to your image called or your sound called water. I want to catch up. So it's like, no, that's not it. Darn. And all we had to do is just go nah, 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 and know that whatever you tried is either hotter or colder. Yeah. Closer or further. If I stay there, hotter, colder, colder, 
I'm going to feel frustration, but it's his frustration, not mine. I'm feeling excitement. There's a psychologist that believed, or researcher believed, all emotions are just excitement to get something. It's just like when they don't know what to do, they turn into anger or fear or depression. But it's just excitement to kind of figure out. Think about a dog walking into a room, you know, excited. There's, we call it fear, but they're excited. Like, what is this? Is there something good here? Something bad? Do I have to run? Like, what's going on? Like, how do I deal with this stimulus in front of me, right? So now that person grabs the lemon and there's an exit. Now happiness is over for me. He, he has happiness. Ah, but it's over for me because I experienced the having, I experienced the challenge, and then it, ah, it exits. And computer programming is called TOTE, test, ep, exit, test, operate, test, exit. So once it exits, it's done. Now I could do that again. Now if I hide the lemon in the same place, he gets it in a second, right? Okay. So we have that. That's how we normally work with things we already know how to do. That's how we get, you know, find that pizzeria. That's how we find a friend in a mall. We keep scanning for something that looks like them. No, that's not them. That's closer for, right? That's how we do something. But same situation. Let's say we have the same exact situation, which is we take that lemon and we put it up in a vent in the roof with screws. Now, he doesn't know how to climb, never learned. He doesn't know what a screw is or bolt or, you know, like a, doesn't know what it is, doesn't know what a screwdriver is. And he comes in and he's right up underneath that, that vent. And I go, you're steaming hot. And he goes to the left, you're cold. Goes to the middle, hot. He's like, there's nothing here. Goes to the right, cold, hot, 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 hot. He's like getting frustrated, right? And I go, hot, you're getting hot. And I stay there. I, I enjoy, that's called mastering patience or frustration. I'm enjoying it. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't give up. I don't give, I don't start doing his job or yelling at him because he couldn't do it or paying attention to him. I stay there. And yet I'm, I'm so I'm aware of what is that's constant and I'm aware of what is that's, that's impermanent. And I keep that flow going hot, 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 hot. And then suddenly if I stay with it long enough, and I'll tell you what we normally do, but if I stayed with it long enough, he's going to go down to a squat because he's frustrated. And I'll say, colder. I'm going to stand up again, warmer, warmer. I'm going to get higher, warmer, hot, hot. He's like, <laughs> hot, hot. Okay, I don't have to go up there. I don't know how to go up there. So if I just stay there with his frustration and I keep breathing, I see it as pain. But it's not. I see it as frustration. It's not. It's my brain doing intelligence. It's processing millions of bits of information a second, hundreds. And it's going, what do I do? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an idea comes to maybe that chair will make me higher. <laughs> so it puts the chair there, tries to climb on the chair, maybe falls off the chair because it doesn't know how to climb. But then finally gets the chair. And I just stay the whole time. I'm mastering patience, frustration disappointment and failure, but I don't pay attention to anything, but allow my brain to master frustration, disappointment, you know, and whatever, and patience. And then all of a sudden, what happens? He's, he's up there. You're steaming hot, still no lemon, right? And he sees a screw with a, a line in it. He doesn't know what that is. And I just keep saying that. He's looking at it, and then out of nowhere, he thinks of a butter knife. He doesn't know why, but it makes sense because it has a slit like that. And he grabs a butter knife, tries to do something with it. He turns it one way. No, ha, turns it the other way and something shifts. And he starts screwing it. Then he gets the lemon. So next time I know how to walk or talk or make a million dollars or 
uh, start a company. So next time I hide that lemon, he knows how to get it in a second, just like he did when it was right there in that box. So the subconscious mind or the creative mind is that person. What we normally do is either evaluate that frustration and we call it, you idiot, you can't, or I can't, I don't know how, it's never going to happen. Who are you kidding? And now what am I left with? The happiness of the lemon or, lemon or the frustration? What's the constant now? The frustration or the happiness? The frustration. The frustration. What's the image? The lemon or them falling? Them falling. Good. What's the meaning? I can do anything I want if I keep going or this not really, there's some things you just shouldn't focus on even though it's important. Yeah, the latter. Yeah. Uh, Right. And then I don't feel comfortable. He doesn't feel comfortable. Then I go get something to eat instead or buy something or have sex or or have a drink or smoke a joint, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. And so now I'm wondering why I'm so miserable. And then I get very mad at people that that have that up there because I didn't see that they went through that or they had a predisposition. There's some people clearly more privileged in certain patterns, either born that way or family system or education. And so, yeah, some people it's going to be easy. They wouldn't have to struggle so much, but there are others that did and get get through that, you know. And so that's the creative mechanism that uh, we don't use. And I learned when I learned that lesson, and I just stayed with it. And I did four things, which is I did the opposite of when that gets stuck. And this is all problems. So when it gets stuck, when it gets stuck, we do four things. We hold our breath rather than breathe. We tense our muscles and add extraneous tension and superfluous tension rather than seeing it as change happening, you know, energy moving, getting me closer, right? So we hold our breath. We tense our muscles. We give it a meaning. We evaluate it like, oh, I can't do anything right, right? I suck. <laughs> right? Uh, it's not for me. No one loves me. Something's wrong with me. And then we take our tension off of that thing and put it on the problem. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to cope or manipulate or fix or get someone else to help us with that that problem. So we want to reverse the process. We want to make sure we know what the lemon is, even though it feels out of reach. We want to have a little bit of appreciation of having that feeling. And we want to keep breathing when we don't know what to do. Keep releasing tension when we don't know what to do. Keep releasing any meanings that I, you know, I don't know what what's wrong with you and uh, you're not doing enough, right? Just keep releasing any meanings and reframing those emotions as just subconscious mind trying to figure out doing its job rather than getting in the way, as we like to say, that's getting in the way, we're getting out of the way. And we maintain that image until the brain goes, let me try that. And then you see if it gets closer or further. It's that interruption of that system that makes us need to rely on everything outside of ourselves. That's why we had to create artificial intelligence because we don't use that, but artificial intelligence uses it. We just like Amanda as a unicorn with the body of Alexander the Great. Okay. (laughs) No, more mystical. Okay, clouds. No, more, more realistic, you know. And then you got like more of a, a real horn. You know, like it keeps it. You have to know it. It's the processor. It has all the data. It has limitless resources. And now at that point, getting to the woo woo part of this, which is within this system, there is no doubt 
that when you do this properly, not only do you find a way to climb and, and unscrew that vent, but someone else does. You get that call from nowhere. You get a woman in a store telling you the number. So all you have to do to make the leap from very practical, that's why my, my website is practical to the magical, right? In order to make that leap from very practical, you know, systems and how it works and intention to woo-woo, like the whole universe helping you, <laughs> is to recognize that you might be, your brain might be able to access data from the field and influence people and things in the field to just like your brain comes up with an idea it didn't have, you know, from nowhere and your arm is able to do something and build a muscle from nowhere. It's able to take in the environment and become stronger. We can take in data outside our body somehow because that's when the weird things happen where someone calls out of nowhere or all of a sudden someone says something and you, you get an idea. So all you have to do is extend that principle to not you, Again, you're not doing anything anyway. So that subconscious is not even you. So if that's not you, why can't the air be not you too? And why can't the fields be not you, the invisible realm in which all things are moving through? And why can't the electrons, and why can't oneness not be you? And that's how you do it in a nutshell. Wow. You're blowing my mind here. I know. I know. Wow. It's just so amazing how that works. It's amazing. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing too is like, I mean, obviously you have to be willing to sit there and kind of be in the emotion and process yeah. the emotion. Um, and what I'm hearing you say too is is without judgment, right? Like say you got rejected, like that doesn't mean I'm not worthy, right? Like I'm going to process this and let it, let it flow through me and just keep my eye on the lemon, but let this emotion flow through. Exactly. And this is why you hear these platitudes that don't make sense or, or like you, we misunderstand. Like my friend who decided to become an actress because her family said she couldn't do it. She was, she's like watching me mofo and she made tons of money on a series. And, uh, she used to say, Joey, keep your eye on the prize. Like to me, not knowing these principles, I thought that meant be this myopic, aggressive, driven, like a uh, pit bull, you know, <laughs> like on a rope, you know. <laughs> And uh, and she wasn't saying that. She's like, that's the only thing that should be focused on. Everything else is information getting you closer. She didn't tell me that part. You know what I mean? Things like that. So, yes, if you see it as not rejection, but your body processing a way to get closer to the thing you that's already yours. But we don't do that because because in childhood, here's the problem in childhood. This gets interrupted in two ways. Either we do have a vision, the lemon, I'm going to ask that girl to the dance, but maybe it's not a vision. Maybe someone just said, ask the girl out or so. I don't really have a vision of being at the dance and how great that would be. Just people saying, you've got to ask someone out to the dance. You know, So you ask a girl to, and she laughs at you. That's information. Like, wow, it's curious. Like, I'm getting closer to something if I had a vision. Like, can I ask you, did I make fun of you or did I? I don't have the ability as a child, right? No meaning makers, so rather than manifestors. So I just go, oh, and then I shut down. And then I make sure, like, maybe women come to me somehow rather than me go to them because I never want to feel that again. It's just a moment, getting closer, you know? And she could have been, I'm sorry, I was just embarrassed. Oh, that's why you left? Okay, do you like to go to the dead? Yeah, okay, cool. It's problem solved. You overcame, you found that lemon. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. why lemon? I don't know. I have a bowl, bowl of lemons there and I just started thinking about lemons. So 
that's one way in which it happens, which is we evaluate a problem because it's frustrating or like we just decided. Second way is we model a parent's frustration and how they give up and what they say. And the third is sometimes you don't even have a lemon. We're just told to do things. Go up and play that violin. Like I said, unfortunately, I did to my kids. Like, go to that jujitsu class. Like, they didn't have any vision of being good at jujitsu and choking someone out or tapping someone out. Like, go. And they're like, what is, what's, what's going on? Why is everyone trying to hurt me here? You know what I mean? Like, what is going on here? And then, so you not only you never had the lemon to begin with, now you have someone falling off the chair and you spend the rest of your life avoiding the sensation and the chair and you you hold that in the subconscious and you work out your life to never feel that vulnerable self again by managing it all. And if that vulnerable self comes up, as Schwartz called it, the, I don't know if Schwartz termed it, uh, termed it um, this, uh, according to this, this phrase uh, called the firefighters, like that now they have to quell the negative emotions that are now there. You've been keeping them at bay <laughs> by bragging or hiding or being pushy or deflecting, right? And then when they come up, then we have to, we have to kill them <laughs> or at least not feel them. And that's when the addictions and or even rage can be an avoidance of that emotion or something. But right. that's how we work. And once you see that one or two or three times, the brain goes, oh, that's a better way, a more efficient way to live. And then it becomes easier to do. But so it's not so much hard. It's a reframing of what it is. It's like mm-hmm. energy's happening. Like I'm processing my mother's abandonment. Cool. That means I'm moving towards being loved. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm processing my mother's rage or my dad's rage or my brother's rage or the kids in school la- laughing at me. Good. That means I'm getting closer to the opposite. That's why in beliefs, I love to say this. It came from, um, Belief release in timeline therapy and MER, mental and emotional release, which is when you look at a belief, it's just a decision to give a moment of meaning. Think about it. Think about a belief is nothing more than giving a, making a decision to give a moment in life a meaning that this means I'm weird. This means I'm not lovable. This means I don't matter. Right. And now look at that. Mary, let's go back to John and Mary. John walks down the street, trips on concrete, and he says, I'm clumsy. Mary trips on concrete, says, world's not safe. Tom trips on concrete and says, people incompetent. (laughs) Ralph trips on concrete and says, I got cat-like reflexes, right? Amanda trips on concrete and says, the world is falling to pieces. Which one is it, right? So any meaning you give a moment, it's by nature a limiting idea that you've we we have trapped the picture, the emotion, the meaning, and then we keep regurgitating, thinking if we do something different, it will change. And the only true meaning you could give any moment that you don't like is that this moment doesn't match what I would like. That's the only empirical meaning you can give a, a moment. Fair enough? Mm-hmm. And that would have to mean... If you're feeling a lot of weird energy and emotion, it would have to mean that you must be on some level so well aware of what you would like <laughs> if you had a negative emotion. So that means you're forgetting the lemon in that moment when you give it a meaning rather than processing it, either patience or acceptance or new behaviors to get closer to that metaphorical lemon. Make sense? Yeah. So the picture changes. 
Yeah. I was going to say, I've heard peace described as, as acceptance of the present moment without judgment. So what you were saying just now kind of reminds me of that. The Buddhists had it years ago. They had it right years ago. Mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And mindfulness does two things. It releases everything by no longer judging it. But also mindfulness is where you're present to what is. Not just present to what is that you've said no to so it can move, but present to something new so it can be your new pattern. Present, present to that. So that's the hypnotic process, which is relaxation and acceptance is the mindfulness acceptance of things, letting things move and reframing them so they can move. No pain, no gain. No, it's change happening, right? And then the absorption of something new is the reprogramming. Eating that strawberry or you know, thinking about this person in a different way or imagining or being with them and noticing something different, noticing what you like about them rather than that they're not paying attention. You know, like you start reprogramming what the brain experiences because we learn through experience, not by thinking. The thinking helps the experience to learn, but the experiential well, we can learn by memorizing up here, but as far as behavior learns through experience, through operant conditioning and classical condition, that's how it, it behaves. So those thoughts that we learn from have to make their way down into the body. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I've kept you for a long time now, so I do want to wrap up because <laughs> you've been so generous with your time and we covered a lot and it's very deep and I invite everyone to listen multiple times because I think you'll hear something different each time. Um, Do you have a last thought that you want to leave people with? Yes. Just because you're in this state of the wish fulfilled appreciation, I'm loved. Uh, Doesn't mean you like your situation. You can feel good and not like your situation. You can feel good and take action to create the situation you would like. You can feel good and not know what action to take. You can feel good and still be responsible. You can feel good and still beg, brawl, and steal to get your needs met or deal with the challenge. But you don't need the emotions in the body. You need them to come and go and process the problem. You're supposed to stay here. If you can just do that and you overcome one of those patterns, and it will get worse before it gets better, like all the things that needed to come up will come up. But if you see it through that lens and it discharges and your life changes, you'll never go back. But you just have to do it once. Do you think tools like meditation and hypnosis, is that what you recommend people do? Coming to your Wednesday night class, is everybody, is that available to anyone who signs up? Yeah, the membership page, uh, Wednesday night manifestation trap. That's what I call the trap because it's, it's, but yeah, I could do that. But there are books there. You know, Joan Dispenza's work will help. Um, yeah. uh, Psycho-Cybernetics, which I started reading again. It's like everything I've been uh, found to be true is in that book. It's the father of self-help books in, in a sense, or self-proclaimed anyway. But I agree. It's very practical ways of doing that. But it's sometimes you need to to deal with understanding emotion. Discomfort is not the... Here is... Your body's emotion when dealing with the stimulus is not the stimulus. The emotion is not the stimulus any more than white and red blood cells are the cut. The white and red blood cells or whatever's happening in the body is is a response to the cut. It's not the cut. So we want to welcome whatever's happening in the body when we have a cut. Not go, oh no, I don't like all this energy moving. Emotions are the same way. They are not the 
the event itself. They are bodies processing the event. If we let it and get out of its way, it will find a solution. If we try to stop it and think we have the solution when we clearly don't or we would not have the problem, then we get stuck in the moment and we stop the healing of the emotions moving and learning and changing and accepting from moving towards what we say we would like. So yeah, books, meditation, self-hypnosis, but understanding emotion I find out is the key. Reframing it as change. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll link all of your your website and everything in the show notes. Um, but Joe, this was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sorry, I went off on a tear. I don't even know where we are. But um, once I get going, I just, because it's important information. So before I die, I need, I need like, my, that's my journey. So thank you. 